Welcome to an abiding thought. Uh, recently, we talked about the importance of how faith is nurtured through the ministry of the word in corporate gathering. And so um, and we talked about from Colossians where Paul talks about uh, allowing the word to a word of Christ to richly dwell in you <clears throat> in the words that we speak to one another and in the context of the songs that we sing. And as I was thinking through that and I was having a conversation with someone else, the question came up, what actually makes a healthy church? And of course, this is a question that's already been answered by a good friend of mine, Mark Devers, uh, pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. Uh, over 20 years ago, he wrote a book entitled Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Uh, that series or that book has been broken down into individual chapters with individual uh, booklets and um, based on each of the chapters. But anyways, the very first chapter of that book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, uh, the very first chapter is expositional preaching. Now, by expositional preaching, we tend to think in terms of the methodology, the method of preaching, preaching expositionally, explaining the scriptures, opening up the scriptures, as opposed to topical preaching where we take a topic and then find scriptures that undergird that topic. But the content of that chapter really gets to the heart of what constitutes a healthy church. And one of the things that's brought out is that foundational to any healthy church is the ministry of the word, primarily the preaching and the teaching, the public preaching and teaching of the word of God. And he indicates that everything else really flows from that. And that's really consistent with scripture. Um, but before we, we, uh, I go into that, because I want to just kind of explore what that means and uh, what are the aims of preaching and the ministry of the word in the context of, of, as we, or I should say, as we understand it from scriptures. But when it comes to defining a healthy church, uh, there are a number of challenges that we see over the last two years with COVID and uh, church activity has been curtailed to a great deal so that a lot of things that made up the everyday life of many churches has been curtailed. And for that reason, some churches have almost uh, have, have collapsed and, and they're really barely hanging on. Now, I would argue this, that there is a tendency to define the health of a church by the wrong standards. Even if there is a robust ministry or at least a verbal commitment to the preaching of the word, but in practice, in many of our churches, we've used the wrong models to determine when the church is healthy or not. Let me just give you a few examples. When we see increase in attendance or over an extended period of time, the tendency is to think that more people in attendance, bodies in the building, means that the church is growing. And while certainly there is a numerical element to the growth of a church, it's not the defining measure of whether or not a church is growing. But that's one thing, to determine uh, when we see an a steady increase in attendance and a large number of people adding people to the roles of the church, we indicate, uh, we think that's an indication of growth 
and therefore because it, it's numerical growth we look at that as being a sign of health when many people are in attendance and uh, in our programs and our worship service etc a second uh, indicator because sometimes we use the wrong standard to measure is when there's a lot of activity so activity we have something for people to do it's interesting over the years as a pastor one of the things that we've implemented is um, new, any new members, anyone who has a desire for membership in the church, that we sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one interview with them, just a discussion to make sure they understand what we believe as a church and what's expected of them as members. And, and we just kind of, it's a way of, of just kind of building a, a bond so that you are clear and, and know that we're accessible to you, etc. But one of the, the questions that we get um, oftentimes, and, and it's innocent, and it comes from something, and it comes from certainly their experiences within the church, um, people will ask, well, what do you have for this? And you can fill in the blank. What do you have for children? What do you have for young adults? What do you have? And, and so those kinds of activities, and people will use that as a determination as to where, if they're looking for a church, whether or not we should join this church or that church. Well, the church over there, the, the music is good and the preaching is good, but they don't have anything for the children. And I'm going to push back on that. I'm not saying that there are things things to do. No more than, in the same way we wouldn't push back on saying that numerical growth is not necessarily healthy, but I would say that numerical growth is not always indicative of health or growth in a church. And so I'm certainly not saying that it is something uh, to be desired to have diminishing numbers. No, we want all of our buildings, no, no matter how small or large, it would be great if all of our churches were filled. But the truth is, church growth, church health is not dependent on numbers. And in the same way, we're not saying that activities for different groups within the church don't have a place and can't be helpful but they're secondary. And so you may have great activities for the ch for your children, for young adults, youth or whatever, but that's not that's not a, that's not an indicator of a healthy church. Programs, um, not just, you know, youth ministry and young adult ministry, but also things for people to do in the community, things of that nature, those are not necessarily indicative of a, a healthy and or growing church. And then a third category uh, or third uh, area by which we measure uh, a health, the health of a church, oftentimes is financial. Because we are self-sustaining, self because we don't take up more than one offering, and because we have money in the bank, it, some people think that means the church is well. And again, we certainly, certainly it is better to have the money that you need to take care of the needs of the, the local church and its facilities. That's better than always being in need. But I want to repeat, money in the bank, activities, and numbers are not necessarily indicative of the health and growth of a church. Now, what is really the basis of a healthy church. To go back to nine marks of a healthy church, 
when they talk about expositional preaching, it's not, as I mentioned before, it's not just a method of how to preach, but it's based on a couple of things that I'm actually going to anchor it in what we read in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. In Ephesians chapter 11, uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And Paul says this, and he gave the apostles, or in fact, let me back up. I want to actually back up to um, verse 9, because it puts the giving in verse 11 in proper context. In verse 9, it says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So now what we're talking about is he's, he's saying that the ascended Christ is the one who has descended from heaven. And he ascended into the heavens and gave gifts. He gave gifts to the church. And among those gifts, he starts with, he ascended or he gave the, the gifts of the apostles. And I think this order is kind of important because by listing the apostles, if you look at it chronologically, obviously the prophets are before the apostles. But we read a statement in uh, Acts chapter 2 where it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So I'm going to argue here that the apostles are listed first because the apostles had the responsibility of codifying the teachings of the prophets in terms of a hermeneutic for the church. And by hermeneutic, it means a method of, uh, a method of interpretation. So the apostles give us a proper method to interpret the message of, uh, of, the, of the prophets. So he says um, he's given to the church, apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And in the Greek, the, sh uh, the shepherds or pastors and teachers would actually be kind of, would be equivalent to a hyphenated word. So it's one office. And then he says this, um, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and uh, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So here's my contention, that a healthy church, is a church that's grounded in the proper ministry of the Word of God. And the proper ministry of the Word of God is the, the expounding of the Scriptures with Christ as the hermeneutical grid. So therefore, uh, this proper ministry of the Word of God means a Christocentric hermeneutic, a Christocentric hermeneutic that all of the scriptures, as Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 24 and really throughout the course of his ministry, how all of these things find their fulfillment in him. So when it comes to the interpretation of scripture, a lot of times evangelicals 
we get confused and we the first question we ask is what does this scripture mean to me well really the first question that we need to ask is we or first thing we need to do is find how find out how this portion of scripture this particular passage connects to the person and work of Christ because all of the scriptures hang together in him and as such when we have a crystal-centric uh, hermeneutic, a Christ-centered method of interpretation, there should also be a clear distinction and declaration of God's law and his gospel. So a healthy church is a church where the ministry of the word is, is the center, is the foundation. Everything else flows from that. And that's what we're going to see here in a moment if we have time to, to touch on these points. But the ministry of the word is the expounding of the scriptures through the grid of the apostles' doctrine. And the apostles' doctrine include a Christocentric hermeneutic and a clear distinction and declaration of law and gospel. Now, what we see in the rest of what Paul says, especially verses 12 through 14, there are really the, the aim of the ministry of the word has three parts. It, it aims at three general things and everything else kind of flows from that. Number one, we see this in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So the ministry of the word is the means by which the saints are equipped for ministry. Now, we would probably, uh, I think this is where there would be a, a delineation or maybe a separation when it comes to understanding what is the work of ministry, because there's a tendency to look at the work of ministry only in terms of that which is organized as, quote unquote, a ministry, this ministry, that ministry, whereas really in a broader sense, the work of ministry, whether it is organized as a group from the church or a part of the church, it really says the, the equipping of the saints individually for ministry. So everyone may not be called to, we, we look at, at uh, ministry only in auxiliary terms, whereas really this, this ministry of saints in this world is to live out our faith, not only as a covenant community, but in the context in which we've been called, and, uh, called to serve. So in some cases, the, how, I think we, we equip single saints for the ability to live out their faith in a world in the context of their singleness, to recognize the sufficiency of what they have in Christ, or even to give them the grid by which, if they are seeking a mate, that they can have the right criteria to determine whether or not they should be in a relationship with this person. I, my point is this, that I don't think all the work of the church is not defined first and foremost in an auxiliary sort of way. How many ministries we have. I think part of it is like equipping uh, that person who's married to an unbeliever to go back into their home and live out their faith in such a way that they honor the institution of marriage or honor God in it, but also recognize uh, their responsibility of sharing at least the content or the effects of the gospel in the context of that relationship. Uh, it could be, it, it's, it's, so, it's, it's undefined. In other words, that's, that's the point that we're making here. The work of ministry is really the serving of God 
in our whatever our calling or our context is in, in terms of our life and in the church. So it's not just confined to the church. But that's that's the effect of, of the ministry of the word. Uh, one of the other aims of the ministry of the word is to establish doctrinal unity. And we see that especially in verse 13, to establish unity in the faith so that we make sure that we believe the same things. Brothers and sisters, understand that we can have a variety of opinions on a lot of different things, but when it comes to the message of the church, there's one. Every church, no matter what the denomination is, should speak with one voice when it comes to the basics of the faith, when it comes to the content of the gospel message. That's one of the reasons that in our church, for instance, we begin every worship service with the Nicene Creed. Other churches will use the, um, the, the Apostolic Creed, but there or, or, or others the Athanasian Creed. Anything that gives an overarching statement of what we believe. So everything that we preach can really be attached to the Nicene Creed in one way or the other. Uh, to one degree or another. So the responsibility or the aim of the ministry of the word, which produces a healthy church, aims at equipping the saints for the work of ministry. That work is the serving of God in the times in which we have been called with the gifts that we have been given. But also it aims to establish unity in the faith. We don't have a section over here in our church where we believe in um, that the gift of the Holy Spirit comes after this. No, we don't. We believe one thing. We believe that all believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we do not believe that tongues are a sign of being indwelt. And you, can, you are free to believe that, but you, can, you are not standing with us as a church body if that's what your belief is. Um, so we, we have a responsibility, and no one has a, a right to challenge or change what the church teaches because it is consistent with the apostolic doctrine. There's enough areas of gray, secondary issues where we may differ without departing from the apostolic gospel or the apostolic doctrine. But there are the fundamental things that have been articulated by the apostles are the foundation of what we teach. So a healthy church is a church that is grounded in the ministry of the word and the aim of that ministry of the word is to equip individual believers of how to serve God in their present moment. And it's also aimed at establishing a unity of the faith so there's no ambiguity of what we believe on the core doctrines of the faith. But thirdly, we see this in verses 13b all the way down through four, uh, verse 14. The aim of the ministry of the word is to bring individuals to maturity in the faith. And by maturity in the faith, Paul uses a couple of phrases here. One, he talks about mature manhood, and he contrasts that against being like children who are tossed, then he changes his metaphor, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So there should be a sense of stability. Just look at it. If you've been, if you've been a Christian for, let's say, 10, 15 years, 
And just think back on all of the different trends, the religious trends that have come down the pike. And how many how many times have we have heard, this is it, this is the next best thing, this is the new thing. And there are people who have every new trend that comes on the religious market, we ride with it. But when we are brought to maturity, no matter how appealing, no matter how, how many people that we know are caught up in this trend or that trend, when you are grounded in the faith, if you are really mature in the faith, even if the error comes from someone or the new novel idea comes from someone that you have great respect for, you're going to evaluate what they are saying against what you already believe and you're not going to be easily moved. I've mentioned my son before in this regard, but I remember when he was about five or six years old, maybe a little older than that, maybe six or seven. And he was watching television and all of a sudden there was um, one of the channels he was watching, some preacher came on and he was just, it was a word faith teacher and he was going on and on. And my dad, my, my son turned to me, he said, daddy, that's not what we believe, is it? And I said, no, it's not. And I just thought about that. I, I, that, that image never leaves my mind because here was this elementary school kid who had been taught the word, had been, even as he was able to understand it, as young as he was, he knew A can't be A and B at the same time. And if A is true, then what you're saying about B can't also be true. He had enough to understand that everything, just because it comes from the Bible, and just because it's spoken in a charismatic sort of way, doesn't mean that is true. And so part of the aim of a healthy ministry of the word is to bring such a clear understanding of the word of God that the people of God are ready to serve this present generation, to serve this present age, because that's the age in which we've been called. Those who are grounded in the word will not only be able to minister to this present age, but they will be bound. They will recognize the bond of unity in the faith. Earlier in the chapter, Paul talks about uh, the, the, the unities, one, one father, one God, one, one body. You know, what, there, there's a unity of the faith, and that should be the outgrowth of a healthy ministry of the word. And not only unity, but maturity and stability so that every new idea is not one that drives us away. So let's go back to the, the abiding thought. What constitutes a healthy church? What are the signs of a growing and a healthy church? So let's put aside numbers. Let's put aside activity. Let's put aside money in the bank because those things can be present and the church is not grounded in the word. A church can be grounded in the word and may not have as much money as another church down the street. And they may not have 
as many activities as someone else. And they may not have the same numbers as someone else, but that doesn't mean they're not healthy. That's what we see in the book of Revelation. Uh, we may not be big numerically, active as some people would like it, or we may not have as much money as someone else, but it doesn't mean we're not healthy. The presence of those things don't make us healthy, and the absence of those things doesn't mean we're not healthy, vibrant, and growing. What makes for a healthy, vibrant, growing church is where the ministry of the word is central because everything else the church does is either consistent with that ministry of the word, if the word is as we've defined it, if the ministry of the word is as we have defined it, as the articulation of the apostles' doctrine, if that is the case, then there may be activities that are inconsistent with it, which will compromise the health. But if those things are in place, then everything else that is spirit-empowered, Christ-honoring, and grounded in the favor of God is an offshoot of that ministry of the Word. There is no healthy church where Christ is not central. There is no strong church or growing church where the Word of Christ is not centered or grounded amongst his people. So what makes for a healthy church? A healthy appreciation and a grasp and a solid proclamation of the word of God. Thank you.